You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite lorecast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Meiji Moose, I do not own a dress that fits me, and I can't fit into my wife's dresses either. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, everybody. This is why you need to be here for the live show during the pre-show, where we get to talk about the weird discrepancy that keeps men from wearing very long t-shirts as dresses in public. Uh, this is your host, Tom of Robots. I'm back with Sam, N7 The Legend. Sam, welcome. How's it going, buddy? Uh, thanks. Going well. I um, We've been talking about uh, whether or not we could get away with wearing extremely long shirts mm-hmm. in public. Mm-hmm. Like w- some women's dresses look like really long shirts, and it's totally acceptable for them to wear those in public. In fact, half of our population can get away without ever wearing pants ever. But if I was to do that at a Walmart, I would end up on the People of Walmart website, and I might get arrested. Totally double standards, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's weird. It's just a weird thing. But anyway, uh, what are we talking about today? This has absolutely no bearing on today's topic, by the way, for somehow we just ended up on this. Yeah, like zero. I don't even. How did we get here? Um, where am I? Uh, <laughs> is this a podcast? <laughs> what are we um, doing? So <laughs> we are uh, following the pattern of episodes that we started a little while ago. We took a little hiatus. You know, we did some episodes on the survey and then the uh, the patron chat. But we are back uh, with our regularly scheduled programming on character episodes. And so today we are talking about not Space Dad, but Space Uncle. Space Uncle. And he's a Space. cool uncle, too. Space Uncle Admiral Stephen Hackett. How awesome is it that in Mass Effect we not only get a cool, a cool like dad character sort of, and then also a cool uncle character. We get a pretty, <laughs> we get a pretty boss uncle character. It's pretty cool. Um, so this is a, so <laughs> Hackett is like the stereotypical badass grizzled veteran. I think mm-hmm. uh, he's even got like a badass scar with it, and he is um, effectively the highest ranking officer that we ever meet. In Mass Effect, uh, by Mass Effect Three, he's basically he is the naval equivalent of a five-star general. He, which is, by the way, you know, we have not even had many five-star generals in the U.S. Yeah, that's pretty ever. significant. Yeah, he's the the baddest of the badasses. <laughs> the, the baddest of asses. 
<laughs> when you say He's, it that way, it doesn't sound the same. He is slamming so much ass. <laughs> oh, God. That's a callback. <laughs> so anybody who's listening to this as their first episode of the show is going to be so confused. That's that is a callback to, like, what, episode three or something? I don't even know. Four, uh, six, yeah, something like so. that. Yeah, I think so. I think it was a Krogan Rebellions one, so yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but about Hackett, um, and when he's not... Uh, slamming asteroids into planets. Uh, he is level-headed, and he's down to earth, and he's he's very much you know on the alignment scale. He'd be good. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know mm-hmm. if he would necessarily be all in on lawful neutral good. But yeah, I think maybe he's yeah. neutral good. Yeah. Um, but he's definitely good, and he's honorable. He has this honorable type of the way he carries himself is so like badass yet regal. It's like they go together. He, you know how Clint Eastwood was a badass, but he's a renegade? Right. It's it's like the counterpart to that. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah. So he would be like he would be like the sheriff in a Clint Eastwood movie, I feel like. Like but, if the yeah, if the sheriff is it's equally badass of as Clint Eastwood's character. Right. right. Not a bumbling idiot. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, right. <laughs> Which right. was so common for those movies. But um he's honorable yet but at the same time he's patient and he's cunning. So, you know, there's that trope of, in media, the honorable hero is kind of an idiot. You know that trope? Yeah. And he's gullible. That's right. not the case with Hackett. Right. Like at all. Yeah. He's not blindly honorable. He's honorable as a, like, for the right reasons and uses that as a strength rather than a weakness, which is what you're saying, like the bumbling honorable person. Like that, yeah. that becomes a, a crux for them. Um Whereas this is, is that the right word? Crutch? Crutch? I don't know. Whereas this, you get where I'm going. This is, yeah. like, he, he, he wields this as, as a beneficial quality rather than a, a negative thing. Yeah, it's like, it's like he's honorable not because he has to be, but because he chooses to be, so right. it's much more meaningful. Right. It's like um, playing the game on hard mode. It's like playing life on hard mode. Being honorable is like playing life on hard mode because you can. Right. And it's the and, right thing to do, and you're badass enough to pull it off. That is exactly how Hackett approaches situations, too. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and, and not just that, but I, I feel like Hackett is one of the most eminent scholars of Sun Tzu ever. <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's so the strategy He's a master strategist, yeah. Yeah. Um, and no one, it seems like no one could outmaneuver him in chess. Uh I don't know. Maybe I'm making some wild extrapolations there, but regardless, he is described as being, you know, kind of old school and a workaholic. He's the kind of guy that maybe you've worked with this kind of person before. He, you always see him at the office and he's like a workaholic Uh and he's a good guy and he's great at his job, but you start to be worried for him because you're like, does he have a family? I don't think he has a family. (laughs) Right. Like what does the rest of his family do? Like what does he ever spend time with a wife and kids? Like he's always here when I get here and he stays later than when I leave and I'm putting in a good eight to 10 hours a day. What's this guy doing? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's like his life is the Alliance. That's kind of how it feels. Yeah. Um, Like he's married to his job. Right. But he's not the kind of hard ass that's like unrelatable because of it. He's, he's got the kind of hard ass with the kind eyes type of demeanor. Uh, somebody's uh, going to have an s- ass counter. Somebody in chat needs to keep an <laughs> a- ongoing ass counter. I think We've we're past 20 at least. Yeah, I think, I think we're up there. Um, he's got that kind of demeanor that you see in people who have had a tough life. 
you know, people who have really been through the ringer. And I think that there's, you know, when you go through trauma, there's two types of people, at least two types of people that come out from it. One of them being it, it made them bitter and it made them cold and shut off to the world. And so they just, they don't want to relate or connect with anyone. And then there's the other type of person who, who overcomes those challenges and is better for it and accepts it and is at peace with it and doesn't want that kind of hard thing for anyone else. Uh, but because they've been through the ringer, it's really hard to scare them or rattle them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. They, they yeah. come out as even more of a badass, but they also have empathy for other people going through the same kind of difficulties, um, that they went through because they understood what it actually means to, to face those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's heck it. You know, this is particularly true for him. Um, I mentioned how he is one of the highest ranking officers we ever meet in Mass Effect. Well, uh, combine that with the fact that he's an Alliance legend. And it's basically like when he says jump, you say how high, uh, no matter who you are in the Alliance. Uh, when this guy says jump, you know, you blast off. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody respects him. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. what do we know about his early life? Well, we know a lot more about Hackett's early life than we do for either Udina or Anderson. Uh, and I think the caveat being with Anderson is that uh, we know a lot about his training. But with Hackett, Hackett was born in Buenos Aires, uh, which at that point on Earth was a huge megatropolis. And so despite looks, uh, this was in 2134. So despite looks, Hackett is really only like three years older than Anderson. Okay, so he's just kind of been through hell. Isn't that baffling? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's only three years older than Anderson, yeah. and he looks like he's like 15 years older. This is one of those things, just on a side note, that as I go, I, 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 my birthday was yesterday. I turned 43, um, but as I get older, this is one of those things that I notice about more people, is that people's ages are harder to tell in some ways when you get older because some people take care of themselves some people just age naturally longer some people dye their hair and some people don't even have hair like there's all these variables right the number of wrinkles you can see on somebody's face how much gray they have like it creates this weird distance between what people appear to be and how old they actually are so with somebody like Hackett it looks like he's been through it you know like the stress has shown up on his face yeah yeah, he would be a marvelous uh, attendant at, or at like a like a circus. Guess my age, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because twenty one thirty four, that would make him fifty uh, fifty two. No, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, man, twenty one seventy. Uh, why can I not What's remember the that? date? What's 78. No. I was going to say seven. 2183. Sorry. 2183. Okay, that is off. the beginning of Mass Effect 1. All right. Uh, so that would make him uh, quick maths. 2183 minus 2134 is 59. 49. No way. 49? Yeah. He'd be 49. I totally just did the math right. Tonight, 2183 minus 2134. That was when he was born, right? 49. <laughs> 21, 2134, yeah. He looks at least 10 years older. Yeah, right. That's unbelievable. He's 49. <laughs> and so he's 52 by Mass Effect 3. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, you can tell that the years haven't exactly been kind to Hackett. Uh, but at least he has the rank to back it up because he, you know, he ascends to the top rank in the entire alliance. Um, 
So lots of miles on him, and maybe those miles started at a young age. His mother was his only parent. Uh, His father wasn't in the picture. Whether that means his father abandoned the family or died, I don't know. Uh, But when, when Hackett was about 12 years old, his mom dies in a pandemic that apparently ravaged Earth in the year 2146. Um, Number, dude. Yeah, that one hits home. I'm sure yeah, for a lot I'm of people. Sure, some people are feeling that. Yeah. Um, but and, and you know, I I when I learned that Hackett's mom was his only parent, and then his mom died when he was 12, it was almost unsurprising for me because he, this is such a common origin story for heroes. Mm-hmm. Well, it, you know, it begins the trauma that they survive through that makes them stronger in the end rather than destroying them in the end, right? It it creates that, uh, it's the seed of their character building. But it's also a common origin story for villains too. Right, they're the ones who take that and go in the other direction. It it creates, it it creates extremeness in either way, right? That makes you very different than your peers. It creates extreme personality traits, which either you leverage for good things or for bad things. But no matter what are extreme, like you're saying, he's the guy who's always at work. He's the guy who's always pushing for more. He's always overcoming these things. But that takes an extreme person to do. It does. It does. And um, he uh, I think it helps because he he seems to have a community, at least that's rallied around him. Um, I would have hated to have seen what happened to Hackett in a scenario where he was kind of left all to his own devices. We're led to believe that Hackett grew up poor. So kind of right off the bat, he's getting hamstrung by life and he's just set up for, for failure. But like I said, there's a community that rallies around him. So um, because this is a piece of heroic fiction and not a film noir about an anti-hero right um, he's not smoking cigarettes and right. <laughs> living in the dark yeah yeah he's not in like a favela like like uh, i could have been a fucking big shot like you know he's, he's not <laughs> i was not thinking i that. was gonna be a, a maybe a commander maybe a general in the military until i got keel hauled <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that's yeah, a that, word you would use i don't know <laughs> keel hauled in <laughs> buenos aires um <laughs> He goes from zero to hero, and and I am making a uh, Hercules reference, by the way, for all of our Hercules fans. Uh, great Disney movie, but <laughs> okay. not so uplifting of a myth- mythological tale. Um, <laughs> he goes from zero to hero. After his mom dies, he's chosen for a preparatory school called the Advanced Training Academy for Juveniles. And according to the Codex, this is where he shines in science and leadership classes uh i don't know what that means shining in leadership it's just hey well, it's, you do that it's well it's, it's one of the things that um we talked about this before about how you've um this relates to having mentors growing up and how you feel like you hadn't had a lot of that but one of my mentors early on was uh a youth leader at a, at a church i went to in high school but it was it's one of those things that people in those kinds of positions look for in the the kids they're working with are kids that naturally rise to the occasion they naturally take on responsibilities they naturally uh inspire other people to do things and follow them and i think that those are things that you can find in kids in uh, very early ages is that it's kind of a natural core of leadership potential and like you said before sometimes that leads towards good things and sometimes it leads towards bad things it's it's a it's a neutral thing 
that can be harnessed, but the hope is to use that and harness it towards good rather than evil, right? Right. Embracing the light side of the force, right. not the Sith side. Um, when Hackett turns 18, that leadership is actualized and uh, he enlists with the Alliance. And so here's where things get a little vague. Um, the lore says that he volunteers to go on high risk missions to colonize the stars outside mm -hmm. of our own solar system. But it doesn't really tell us what that meant. So, okay. So we talked about, um, in one of the, what was it? The second episode, we talked about opening the mass relays and humans who went on that mission. But does this, this kind of correlates on the timeline, right? Was he on that mission? Uh, you know, I thought the same thing at first, but that was in 2149. Uh, so that was just three years prior to when Hackett enlists. Uh, okay. so, so and, and it, close. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't, he doesn't join the, uh, the Caron relay activize active activation, uh, you know, uh, Exodus, but he does go on this extra solar colonization mission stint. So he wasn't on the mission with Alliance hero, John Grisham, or John Grisham. not John Grisham. He's a <laughs> different guy. Grisham. Uh, <laughs> John Grisham. Uh, but he was on one of the subsequent waves of troops to go through the Caron relay as humanity colonized other systems before running into the Turians and the first contact war. Uh, Hackett could have been part have, could have been, I'm saying could have, because it's not exactly confirmed. It's just, it's, uh, plausible. Mm -hmm. Hackett could have been part of one of the first human teams to travel through a given relay in a different nebula. Uh, so there's lots here to work with in the future if the writers want. They, they, they left it open-ended. Lots of room for future adventures and stories revolving around Hackett if they want to do there. If they want to do that. And, and you know, he's also got some intriguing uh, physical characteristics like that scar I mentioned. I'm yeah. sure there's a story around that scar what, that we don't know. Right. Well, we do know that there were, a, even if he wasn't on that first mission, there's a lot of other stuff that happened, you know, after that time and all this. It totally makes sense that he could be involved with a lot of that stuff. But um, let's uh, let's talk about his career progress. How did how did that develop from that point on? Yeah, uh, well, by the first, by the time the first contact war rolls around, Hackett had been serving already for about five-ish years, and was already commissioned as a second lieutenant. The sidebar here is that to go from orphan, this is a point that we should really drill in because it's like it's just one thing to read to be like, oh yeah, he was an orphan, and then he got enlisted in the, the military after prep school, and now he's a second lieutenant four four or five years later. Um, we should drill in the point about how difficult that is because it's so easy to overlook that. Uh, it's not easy to go from orphan to enlisted grunt serving in high risk covert ops and then to become an officer all within four or five years of each other. Mm -hmm. That's severely impressive. I wonder, um, I wonder, and just as a side note, I wonder if some of this had to do with, um, uh, field, um, what's it, what's it called when you are raising rank, during battlefield conflict battlefield commission right yeah. battlefield commission because maybe he was in dangerous situations people above him were wounded or killed and he was commissioned higher because and faster due to battlefield battlefield service because that 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 totally happens you know you look at events like world war 2 and so many enlisted people 
rose in rank very quickly because of the number of casualties. Yeah, and it's important to note that he was commissioned as a second lieutenant before before the, the first contact war started. So it was just like one year before. And so it's not impossible you know, for people to do this kind of thing, but it's exceedingly rare um, that enlisted personnel would become commissioned officers at such young ages. Yeah. Uh, I've spent, in my career, I've, I've spent a lot of time around military personnel. And there are plenty of times that people say they're gonna go into the military and they enlist. Uh, and then they enlist with the intention of becoming an officer at some point. But the enlisted culture is highly different from the officer culture. Yeah. The enlisted culture is on the ground, hands-on. They're the ones executing the commands. Right. Uh, officer culture is a lot more like a politician. And the yeah. two worlds Management are very different. And politics is very much what that world is yeah absolutely I, a good friend of mine served in the uh the air force and pretty high up until he recently retired um and then another friend of mine in high school was you know just enlisted and in his three years he he didn't do anything other than clean bathrooms on a battleship that was basically his job for three years and he didn't feel like there was movement forward or up in any significant way and so he left but it makes sense. There's, I'm sure it's it's very competitive when you're one of those individuals who's yeah. you know, doing these kind of low level jobs, trying to work your way up, especially during a non wartime, you know, situation. Yeah, and well, you know, for in, for young enlisted folk, unless you're going to go back to college and earn a degree and then apply, uh, at least when it comes to the U.S. military, um, and then apply and make it through an intense training program like officer candidate school and then commission that way, it's not easy. But this isn't something that most active duty personnel have time to do or even you know want to do uh, a lot of the time. So then, if, if you're ruling that out, uh, if you're talking about a battlefield commission, which is what sounds like happened to Hackett, that is incredibly rare. Battlefield commissions, those mm -hmm. do not happen. You know, some service members saw those in wartime, like World War II. It's very common in World War II. Right. Uh, but you really do have to go above and beyond the line of duty to earn a battlefield commission. Uh, and again, it's even more rare in peacetime. In, which is, you know, it, in peacetime, it just doesn't happen. Battlefield commissions do not happen in peacetime, which is, it was peacetime when Hackett earned the second lieutenant rank uh, in 2156. So um, Hackett probably impressed the right people. Yeah, I have a feeling he was a very impressive individual who was connected to the right people. And they saw, again, that like that leadership potential in him that was found at an early age. They saw that and they were like, OK, you are unique. We need to move you into a, a role where we can really use your skills. Um, so he does serve in the war then, right? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah. OK, well, tell you what, why don't we talk about that part after the mid break? Because we've got some patrons to thank and, uh, uh, you know, do the mid break stuff. So here we go. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. All right, here we are in the middle of the show, and we've got some new patrons to thank. In the last week, we've got two new patrons who signed up. A Whittier Frog, 
wonderful name and a new tier five patron kira c welcome to the patreon thank you so much for your support um let's see we've got 50 patrons we have to thank this week and that includes get this one two three four five six commander shepherd tier patrons holy crap guys so captain shanko uh kira apollo lieutenant tosino i think this is the way i'm gonna go with that pronunciation and pipe man and big bills 63 thank you so much for helping us out this is amazing you guys are the best we really do appreciate the support and if we've if we're helping you get through your work day your drive to work your workout or heck maybe you're in the military and you're listening to this and we're helping you get through your military service but which by the way thank you so much for your service um then go to patreon.com slash mass effect lorecast check out the different tiers you can get ad free episodes you can get t-shirts you can join us on future episodes of the show and we would really really appreciate the support so that's what we got going on this week with our patreon why don't we get back to the rest of the show spit it out or are you trying to build suspense you're so dense sir obviously i do not know as much about human relationships as i thought so we're saving the uh reading of the reviews and stuff to the second episode this week so stay tuned for that because we do have a new review to read as well but um let's get back to this talking about the war what about his actions during the war what do we know about that uh i i feel like we're we're falling into a a pattern where i consistently disappoint you because we don't have a lot of details (laughs) on that well a lot of a lot of these characters it's it's kind of hearsay or very small bits of text or conversation that kind of gives a little bit of a glimpse of these things so i i understand it's kind of how it goes so yeah, when it comes to his actual heroics, uh, we just that they left that part vague, and my guess is because they didn't a they didn't have time to write it in detail, or b they just wanted to leave it vague so that they could come back to it. Yeah, if or it just wasn't super important for the the more focused part of the game in that moment, so it just didn't come up in the the telling of the story. Right, right. I, I see uh, here in chat, uh, Cloudy Atlas says we could make it up. <laughs> we could do. We could do. What if we had had the second episode every week was just us making up lore? That was. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> I was just thinking about what if we just, you know, decided, um, fuck it, <laughs> we're, we're just gonna, uh, we're just gonna make it up as we go in the second episode. Like, like it was a well-known running gag that our second episode was not to be taken seriously. Right. First episode is the Mass Effect Lorecast. Second episode is the Mass Effect not lore, like anti-lorecast, <laughs> opposite Ma- lore. Mass Effect Liecast. Liecast. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we could totally, Fake. we could totally do that. The Mass Effect fake newscast. Um, <laughs> no, we. <laughs> I don't know. I'll think about it. Maybe, maybe I'll have like a stream, one stream a week, where I just improv fake lore. Yeah, um, yeah. But people, don't, people of, will like, they'll, they'll watch you, and they won't realize that's what you're doing for a while, and they'll be like, they'll be like "Wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about." What's he about? talking about? Yeah, what's, what's he talking about? That's so weird. This guy's full of particles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, no, uh, but about the actual lore about Hackett. What's interesting to me is that how open Hackett seems to be working alongside alien militaries. This is not something that we see a lot of in the Alliance. And it's and this guy's like, you know, le coup de gras of the Alliance, the, mm-hmm. the top dog. Uh, and he seems to be extremely open 
to working with other alien militaries. You know, given his service, he could have become more xenophobic. He did serve in the first contact war like Presley. He could have become xenophobic and, and, and you know, distrustful of other, other races. He could have even become like the elusive man. Who knows? Uh, but we hear from Hackett and Mass Effect 3 that he never really even liked the elusive man, which is interesting. This is a really... Uh, here's an excerpt from a conversation. We're going to run it. Uh, that I didn't quite remember hearing before researching for the Hackett episode. And maybe it'll now it'll sound new to you, too. All right, so here we go. I'm going to play it. For those people who are on the audio version of the show, you'll be able to hear it. And then I'm also recentering it for the screen size. Okay, there we go. Here it is. Commander, something on your mind? What are your thoughts on Cerberus? I think it's obvious by now the elusive man is insane. Not that he wasn't always a special form of crazy, but this is getting downright dangerous. And I don't care what he thinks he's proven, there's only one way we defeat the Reapers. No more Reapers. But what if the Reapers really can be controlled? That's like trying to tame a shark. Somebody's gonna end up dead. In this case, it would be the whole galaxy. He's the worst possible person to give that kind of power to. Kill him. That's an order. No more Reapers. <laughs> that's my favorite that's like, part of the, that section. <laughs> my favorite part was that's like trying to tame a shark. Someone's going to end up fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, like, oh man, I can't think of a better quote to, to emphasize uh, just how intense and frank and honest, but also like, like astute uh, hack it is, you know, that is so, uh, that's so good. And he's no know? nonsense. He's just like, this is the problem. This is why it's messed up. And this is what we need to do. Hack it out. Right. <laughs> just he's like, like boom. why are we overcomplicating this? Right. <laughs> it's just, this is the solution. We don't need to debate it. Let's just go just kill the guy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very authoritative. That is the only time that we really hear Hackett give Shepard such a stern order. This is an order. Kill him. You know, this is, whoa, holy shit, you know. Um, well, it also it also puts Shepard on the spot because of Shepard's previous allegiance or at least connection to the elusive man and, you know, all of all of that side of it. Like, here's your order. Go do it. And if you're not going to do it, then that's going to tell me a lot about you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, this is not debatable. Uh, he's clearly lost his mind. I, I always thought that he was kind of crazy, but now he's like... <laughs> downright insane right uh, yeah and the future of the galaxy depends on this so yeah get him out of the picture right he's like yeah, clearly this guy is a raving lunatic with no uh bearing on what his uh actions are going to do to everyone else you know um yeah. he's a megalomaniac uh there's a lot in what hackett did not say there um so but the, but the bottom line is that uh, I, th I think it becomes very evident that Hackett was never a fan of the elusive man or yeah. his ideology. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, anything else you want to say about this? Yeah. Well, we do know that whatever Hackett did during the first contact war, it earned him a lot of medals on his rack. Uh, we don't know exactly what he did, but. It continued to catapult him up the chain of command, farther and farther toward that admiral rank. 
you know. That's true. But I mean, because we've talked about him getting to lieutenant, uh, the distance from lieutenant to fleet admiral is pretty substantial. <laughs> yeah. Especially by yeah, the age of is. 49. Yeah, good lord. Um, wow, 30 years? Roughly 30 years? He climbs from, from enlisted, like, grunt yeah. to the top of the military? Yeah. That's unbelievable. That's a tall order. Um, that's unbelievable. You know, uh, wow. You know, and, and in, in case anyone's not aware of how most modern military ranks work, there's a separate structure of ranks for enlisted folk than there is for officers. So theoretically, theoretically, this is not how <laughs> it is in actual application, but the highest enlisted ranking as I understand it, is theoretically still below the lowest officer ranking because an officer is an officer and enlisted is enlisted. Right. So technically there's an order of uh, things that you need to follow, like customs and etiquette, where no matter how high you are on the enlisted ranking chain, you still have to salute the officer. And then the officer returns the salute. Right, it's a completely it's different just, class. Yes, yeah. completely different class. Now, in application, it's different. <laughs> if uh, if there was a fresh butter bar, they call them second lieutenants, if there was a fresh butter bar who demanded that a master sergeant salute him, he'll probably tell him to go fuck himself <laughs> <laughs> and then keep walking. Uh, the, so, the, you know, in, in, in application, it's completely different. Um, I, I see in a comment in chat, where are NCOs in the pecking order? NCOs, NCO stands for non-commissioned officer. That is an enlisted personnel who ends up being given more responsibility and more authority, but they're still ultimately enlisted. So a staff sergeant, a sergeant, like a sergeant first class, they are NCOs probably by job. Uh, that, that would just mean that they oversee other enlisted personnel. Officers are still higher ranked than NCOs because technically officers are commissioned officers. Mm -hmm. uh, and officers have their own ranking, you know, like it goes from second lieutenant to general in the army. Yeah. And general being the top, being five-star general. Um, Mass Effect rankings are very convoluted. Uh, they're completely different. I've seen a lot, a lot of debate in the Mass Effect communities about how they messed it up <laughs> because because <laughs> right. it doesn't match our current structure right and, and i think they uh they tried to like just mesh a lot of different ranking structures together and find the commonality um there's a combined uh, you know set of customs it seems uh but even so there's some there's some flip-flopping about how many bars this admiral has in this game and yada 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 and honestly it's a lot it's it's too detail oriented for me and too over my head uh, i know if you want to go into down into a rabbit hole for that there's certainly uh corners of the internet that you can go to uh but we're not going to take up too much time about rankings but yes uh it is a long way it is a long way from lieutenant to admiral and sadly, we don't have a lot of evidence of just what it was he did to climb to such heights. Because by the time Mass Effect 1 starts, he's already this admiral commanding the Alliance's fifth fleet. And he's already an Alliance legend by the time Mass Effect 1 starts. However, if we were going to take wild guesses 
on what else Hackett may have been involved in. My money says that he had a hand in two things. The development of the Alliances in 7 program, because it was made after he already joined, and apparently made after he was already serving on covert high-risk operations in uh, colonizing the stars. So, and, and if we remember, N7s are supposed to be the, the uh, top echelon of special forces who can survive in any environment. Right. Sounds like a viable yeah. uh, team for assisting colonization efforts, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Um, so I think Hackett could have had a role in the development of the Alliance's N7 program, maybe not the original creation, but the ongoing development of it. And I think that Hackett probably served in some capacity during the Skillian Blitz. That was during later. That was later during the 2170s. But I think he probably served in some capacity there. Mm-hmm. So um, he's higher ranking than Anderson. But when it comes to politics, how much power does he actually hold? I mean, or even compared to Udina, who says that he's the most powerful man in the in the universe or whatever, the galaxy. <laughs> right. That's, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, short answer. He seems to be on par with Anderson for political sway, but his domain is so much more solidly over the military than Anderson's is, which goes back and forth between the games. Um, now you brought it up. Uh, we've spoken about this in the past. In Udina and Anderson's episodes, uh, we talked about how the rift between political and military leadership widens in Mass Effect 3. And there's one moment specifically where Udina says something along the lines of, there's never been a more powerful person in human history than me. <laughs> right, it's right. Something like that. So to- <laughs> yeah. Tooting his own horn very hard. Um, but that can be a bit misleading. Because when it comes to directing the entirety of humanity's armed forces, Hackett seems to have total authority. I don't think he's taking orders from Udina there. Uh, There is an urgent bulletin that is sent out in Mass Effect 3 to all Alliance personnel, and it kind of confirms this. Uh, The beginning of the bulletin, it's very official, it's like... It's like Intel bulletin, uh, urgent, you know, (laughs) right. Code cobalt (laughs) five. I don't even know what that means, but that's what it says. And then it says, uh, report as follows under the emergency war powers act. It's a real act, by the way, uh, (laughs) under the emergency war powers act, fleet admiral Stephen Hackett has assumed command as Supreme commander of Alliance military forces dated September 21 or 2186 after destruction of the systems alliance parliament blah 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 blah. so the entire government of the alliance was destroyed when arctur station was blown up by the reapers and because of that under the emergency war powers act stephen hackett uh he he basically seizes total command of the military yeah wow right um so talk about never been a more powerful person in human history but Who who doesn't say that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Huh. So yeah, I see a really great uh comparison here in chat. Um Nathan Goodrum says Hackett is basically General Eisenhower in space. Yes. Okay. Uh I'd venture to say it's even more extreme than that. Because imagine in World War Two if the UK, France, uh US, all of the allies had gotten together and they were all convening and uh the nazis bombed the building where they were convening 
Mm. And so the heads of state of everyone, and then their fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh lines of succession were all decimated in one attack. Right. Right. That's how extreme it would be. Yeah. So somebody like Hackett would take control or somebody like Eisenhower. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it might not be the most democratic thing, but, um, wartime <laughs> decisions, you just gotta, right. you gotta turn right. on a dime and you gotta make a decision. You gotta act. Otherwise you're going to be destroyed. So, yeah. Uh, you know, it's almost like the Alliance becomes a complete military dictatorship for at least a little time. Um, and I don't think most people alive today quite understand what we would be facing in a time of actual state to state war. Mm-hmm. It is not as democratic as you think it is. Yeah. No, no. It's not. Uh, a lot of our civil liberties, a lot of our freedoms are temporarily repealed. Yeah. Oh, look at, uh, look at what a lot of the people, a lot of the citizens of the country went through in like the 1940s during World War II. There oh, were yeah. a lot of changes and a lot of people were willing to make those changes for the sake of the war with the assumption that eventually they would get the rights back. And but even now, I'm, I'm, I'm making a direct comparison. Like some people right now uh, in the United States really feel like their freedom of speech is under attack. Right. And it's not. They just feel like it is. No. And they might be surprised to know that during a time of war, if you're speaking out against the, your government because they're telling you to wear a mask, mm-hmm. that could very well fall under the sedition law. Right. You, you can land you in jail. Yeah. Yeah. You could actually be ar- arrested for, for maybe uh, differing with your government on, on such a key, whatever they de- determined to be a key policy. But, right. Because right. it's based you know. on the safety of everyone else. And so therefore, everyone has to fall in line for the safety of everyone. And yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Yeah. The sedition laws are very wide reaching. And uh, I encourage everyone to look them up if you're in the United States. And I'm sure Canada, the, the UK, other places have their own sedition laws. Uh, but they're not, ex- they're, they're a little draconian. Uh, but there's a reason why they're there. Um, so, hmm. yeah. Uh, point is, Hackett is probably, he is, he's justified in taking control of the entire military that way. And while, while we may have mentioned how Anderson's relationship with Udina is contentious at best, mm-hmm. uh, but it seems Hackett is much more strategic with how he chooses his battles uh, with politicians specifically. He seems to be a lot, he's doing a lot of uh, shaking and, you know, moving and shaking and uh, moving behind the scenes, you know. Uh, he's, there's a lot of maneuvering that, Shepard, I think, is not privy to. And mm-hmm. in it, Hackett is being transparent as much as he should be, but there's some things that he shouldn't concern Shepard with, I right. think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think Hackett does a really good job of understanding the difference. Uh, and Hackett is very much behind the scenes most of the series, and he's not exactly barging into Adina's office and punching him in the face and letting <laughs> Shepard take the Normandy, you know, in, in Mass Effect 1. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, yeah, uh, but just like we mentioned before, Hackett is in the room during that first conversation among Udina, him, and Anderson uh, when they're all talking about nominating Shepard for the Spectres. So, it's clear uh, Hackett pulls some level of weight. Yeah, so it is kind of interesting. He, he only shows up uh, 
at the beginning of Mass Effect, like Mass Effect One, like that. Because um, the rest of the time, he seems to just kind of pop up when he needs something. <laughs> he just kind of like shows up every so often. Yeah, he's like, "Hey, um, excuse me. Hey, no, can you go murder this uh, insane guy for me? Thanks." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except he doesn't say it like that. <laughs> There's, you know, that's a fair criticism uh, and because he is in Mass Effect 1 at least. He's just this disembodied voice that interrupts you when you're at the galaxy map and you're like trying to go do something. He's like, <laughs> Shepard, I have a mission. <laughs> and you're like, this is your conscience, Shepard. Right. I've got a mission for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, in your fortress of solitude. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's just this disembodied voice. Um, and, and Shepard's just a Lieutenant commander. So why is this Admiral who's not even in their direct chain of command hitting them up with errands, right? Mm-hmm. Why is this even happening? Uh, and I think the in game explanation is that because Shepard is not just a service member, but Shepard is a specter now and being a Alliance specter, they represent the entirety of humanity's military yeah um so the only people who can really give them orders are well they would have to be pretty high up in alliance command aka hackett mm-hmm. or maybe he's just keeping tabs on shepherd oh that's uh that's a really good point um that's a definite possibility you know like a manager making sure that you're still playing by alliance rules too uh but not really uh being able to say it openly but I think I think that there could be another deeper, more personal meaning in Hackett's consistent monitoring of Shepard. However, that is going to have to wait until next week. And uh, uh, if, if people have listened to the show, they, they probably know what you're referring to because we've hinted at this before, or at least you've hinted at this theory. Yeah, I, 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 this is one of my favorite fan theories, the one that I'm hinting at. Um, and we're going to have to save that for next week because the next episode we're covering this week is about the news. There was this big piece of news, quote unquote news, uh, that broke today. Yeah. Um, where I think something was unintentionally put on the Bioware store. So, so, uh, awesome dude. Well, this has been a fun episode. I can't wait for next week, but we're going to wrap this up because we're going to do the second episode for this week right now. So if you're in chat, hang out with us. If you're listening, then stay tuned in a few days. the, The second episode will drop. Um, and you know what? I'll put this episode up early for our patrons as well. I think that this being as like newsworthy second episode will go up at the same time as this episode. So, um, but in regular schedule, it'll be later in the week. But uh, man, awesome stuff. You got anything else you want to share before we head out? As always, I'm streaming Mass Effect every Saturday. Sassy Shep Saturdays. I am midway through Mass Effect 2 right now uh, with my Sassy Shepherd. And you can find me, me and my streams. I'm streaming other games too. I'm, I'm about to start my very first Dragon Age playthrough yeah, on dude. Thursday. I hope you enjoy it. Um, so that'll be fun too. And I've been streaming some modded Fallout. I'm thinking about streaming some modded Skyrim at some point. Uh, oh man, I have a, a list of mods up on my um, the Robots Radio website if you want to yes. try out. Some that make, oh, make your I'm, game look really freaking good. So down. Um, yeah. I want to push Skyrim to the far ends of where my 3070 graphics card <laughs> can take it. Yeah, it, it should go um, pretty far at this point. So, yeah, you're in, oh, you're yeah. in for a treat. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that every Saturday, Thursday, or th- Thursday, Saturday, and Monday. Uh, and you can find me on Twitch at N7TheLegend. Awesome, dude. Uh, if you want to 
check us out live. We're live on Monday nights starting at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on the Robots Radio channels. So that's Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook. Just search Robots Radio for each of those and pick the one you like the best. Um, I've got my stuff going on. I've got all my shows, all the different lore casts that I do. And you can find more about the network in general, all the other shows on the network, and even joining the network if you want us to help you launch your podcast and make it successful because you'll have my help and a number of our other hosts as part of the robots radio rocket club. You can go to check out all that stuff at robotsradio.net. And, uh, I've been writing some music. I've been, uh, playing, writing music lately. So that's been my thing. I might stream more of that later this week. No telling it's kind of at random times, but that's what we got going on. And, uh, thanks. Thanks again for tuning in for this episode. We'll be back real quick for the second episode this week and stay tuned for that. But, uh, thanks for being here, everybody. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com.